Welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm your host, Busy Gold, and Conscious Construction starts right now. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode of The Modern Good. I'm Busy Gold and this episode is called Keys on Your Boat, How Emotional Patterns Disrupt Faith. So this episode content is something that is very near and dear to my heart because I've found myself personally grappling with this concept before. And I think as we dig into it and explore, many of you will have that same sort of aha moment of having found yourself in that same place of, I trust God, I've done the spiritual work to really anchor in my beliefs, and I know that I have faith. So why in this moment when I'm being presented with a test or a challenge or things don't quite look the way I want them to, am I suddenly panicking and letting my human nature override any of my spiritual beliefs that I know to be anchored in. So it's very common to find ourselves there, even if you've you know been a devout follower, for example, of Jesus your entire life or whatever your spiritual belief system, maybe you've dedicated years and years of study and meditation and you really feel centered in that. Why then when we have these moments or wobbles, do we suddenly start to panic and let our human mind essentially get behind the wheel and start taking control over how we're making decisions? And the simplest answer is that it's our childhood emotional patterns that are very much responsible for essentially blocking or shifting our ability to lean into faith and instead override it with very dominant assumptions and fear messages that are intended to, in fact, keep us really taking consistently the other fork in the fork in the road, right? To constantly go left instead of right. So we're going to be digging into this and trying to break it down both from a brain pattern perspective, but also very much from a biblical perspective. And we're also going to be digging into a concept that is very important to understanding this. And I find that it is often very unknown, even in Christian communities that I've worked with, essentially because elements of it are involved more in what I would deem to be like a mystical approach to Christianity, although it's very much biblically backed, which as we keep digging into the podcast content that I've been shown to present over the next few weeks, you'll, you'll see this theme continue to arise that it seems for whatever reason, a lot of modern Christian churches tend to skirt around or avoid these kind of deeply spiritual mystical aspects that are clearly present throughout the Bible from start to finish. And when I say from start to finish, I mean from old Testament to new Testament and to try to, remove or avoid or say, "Mm, we're not a church that does X, Y, Z, or we're not a church that ABC. To me, the Bible's kind of, it's like an all or nothing approach, right? If you're going to be very strict 
in how you are adhering to certain portions of the Bible and teaching those portions of the Bible. How then can you decide, oh, but these pieces of the Bible, we're going to stay away from these ones. These ones are, they're just too controversial, right? That's not how truth, like the actual spirit of truth functions. You can't pick and choose. So when we look into some of these things that we're going to today and really trying to take this kind of mystical or quantum approach to how we're looking at these processes that exist between operating out of fear or operating out of faith, we're certainly going to bump into, I would imagine, areas of biblical teaching where some of you, based on your experience in church, might be like, ooh, whoa, I can't believe we're going there. And we are going to go there. We're going to go there a lot. And if you have applied to join the Wild at Heart Women's Bible Study, we're going to go there times a million. So that link is on mymoderngood.com. If you go to um, my two episodes ago, the scariest podcast I've ever done, the application link is on that page of mymoderngood.com. So feel free to apply. Obviously, the Bible study is free. In fact, I've been very much called by God to um, do everything for the next year regarding break strictly by donation and sliding scale. So um, I'm feeling really good about that. I love providing free content and always have. It's really where my heart is. So if you are one jumping on that Bible study, please do so. And it is open, by the way, to everybody. And there is a question on the intake that helps you try to hone in on where you're currently sitting at with your spiritual beliefs. And I would say we've got probably like 50% on fire for Jesus and have had very intense personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. And then I would say the other 50% are in the boat of, I loosely believe in something, but I never would even slightly consider doing a Bible study if it wasn't taught by me. So I thank you for that. I thank you for trusting me with your mind and your heart, I will do right by you, I promise. So if you want to jump over there and apply, and obviously it's free, but we're going to be taking some of these concepts even deeper because why not? Why not go all the way deep? It's the only way to do things. So this is He's on Your Boat, and we're going to start and frame today's episode with an awesome scripture, Matthew 8, 24. If you're familiar with the Bible, then you're familiar with the fact that there are multiple translations that are in print. I really find the deepest spiritual truths are revealed in the King James Bible. I know that that can be very triggering in and of itself for a lot of people. So let me explain why I personally feel that the King James Version relays the most authentic message as it relates specifically to the spiritual, mystical, and I would say even like, you know, revelatory aspect of the actual words. And it has everything to do with syntax. So syntax, if you're not familiar with what that word means, it refers to the organization and order of words. When you try to translate something and make it easier, air quotes, to understand, often what happens is that the order of the words 
gets jumbled or put in a different order so that it makes more sense to the human mind. But the question is this, don't we think that the word is very specific and that order of words is therefore also quite specific? So when I look at one version versus the other, especially as it relates to some of the topics that I'm going to be speaking on and teaching about, syntax is everything. With a slight change in syntax, the sentence reads completely differently. So while the New International Version, for example, reads much, much easier, trust me, I get it. It reads easier, it flows off the tongue. Hey, some of it even sounds pretty. It doesn't sound great to be, oh, ye, fear ye, right? I get that. But the issue resides in the very precise ordering of words as it relates to relaying spiritual truths or revealing mysteries that are to get passed down to you. And with a simple switch or swap of two items, your takeaway might be completely different. So I'm a fan of the King James Version for that reason and that reason alone. It's not because I like to sound Shakespearean when I am reciting a Bible verse to you. So whatever version you decide to study or lean into, that's totally on you in the Wild at Heart Bible study. We're using the King James Version for the reason that I just mentioned, for the syntax reason, because syntax is really so, so important. And if you haven't worked with me in other capacities, I like precision. You know, that's kind of my thing. So to me, if I'm going to teach something or help reveal truths from something that seems complicated, I'd like to be highly precise about it. So for that reason and that reason alone, we're going King James. So on to Matthew 8, 24, and behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea. Tempest is a storm. Insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. He, clearly, Jesus. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So there's so many things that we could unpack from the scripture. And I think from an intellectual perspective, that is one of my favorite things about the Bible. There aren't too many things that we could take, you know, roughly six lines of text and have a five hour conversation about it. And yet with the Bible, that seems to just be consistent from start to finish. So whether you're listening to this and you're like, oh, I don't know how I feel about the Bible. I don't know how I feel about God. Even if you're looking at it surely from an, a perspective of intellectual challenge, the challenge is there for you, my friend. So this top part that we have obviously highlighted is describing that there is a huge storm taking place and Jesus is on board the boat with his disciples and Jesus is calmly passed out of sleep. He doesn't care about the storm. He is passed out in the back of the boat and all of his disciples are sitting here watching with their human eyes this ship get tossed side to side. So the first thing that we need to consider is a simple question like, 
why would Jesus be asleep and sleeping through it when all of the disciples are panicking, looking at what looks like the ship about to be consumed by a storm? Clearly, we know that Jesus didn't think with his human mind, right? He was operating from spirit, right? He was operating with his God mind. So Jesus, knowing prophetically how things turn out, isn't going to wake up for a storm that he knows has no bearing on any of their life trajectory other than it's very uncomfortable in this moment, right? So everyone on the boat, save for Jesus, is completely panic-stricken, thinking this is going to be the end of them. So the food for thought here, question number one, is at this point, his disciples, timeline-wise, they've already seen him perform miracles. So they've already seen him perform the supernatural. Yet their human brains are experiencing this storm, and they're thinking, oh, my God, we're going to die. And they're looking at their teacher, who's passed out, relaxed as can be, knowing already, I've literally seen this man completely change somebody's life, not only with the snap of a finger, but with mud in the eyes, with a breath in the face, with words, right? They've already seen miracles performed one after another. And yet they sit here panicked about a storm, waking up their teacher because he's not actively trying to save them in this moment. And it's because they're thinking with their human brain. So despite having the evidence that they've already seen Jesus perform miracles and that he can do the supernatural, they're allowing their human mind to kick in for that moment and panic, even though faithfully they're following Jesus as a disciple because they've seen him prove who he is. And yet in this moment, when presented with a very physical, tangible, three-dimensional storm, they're panicking. And they're panicking because their human mind has fear of death still, right? They've not yet conquered that fear of death. They've not yet conquered their human brain's desire to control outcomes. And we know that all of these control mechanisms to desire to control an outcome come immediately attached to childhood adversely perceived events, right? That is what creates our brain's protective reflex. So here in this first bit of, of thinking about this particular section, we have people that have seen the miracle, know who Jesus is, know better, right? They have their faith anchored. And yet at the presentation of a storm, they crumble and they wake up their teacher to be like, save us, we're dying. Clearly they're not dying. Otherwise Jesus probably would have been awake. Yeah. Right. He probably would have been immediately calming the seas, but he wasn't because he was thinking with his God mind, not his human mind. So when we get to this last question, I want everyone to take a moment to think about a time that they have found themselves in a circumstance or a situation where they know better spiritually or intuitively. And yet when presented with physical evidence right in front of their face, they're panicking anyways. Right? Have you personally found yourself leaning into human fear over your spiritual faith in that moment? Pretty sure you have. How often does it happen? Weekly? Monthly? Daily? And the big thing that I want you all to sit with as you think about 
how often you've found yourself wavering in leaning into that which you know to be true from a higher perspective versus what you are physically fearing with your human brain in the short-term moment, leaning into which one, human fear or spiritual faith, yields better long-term results? What actually changes your life big picture is often the big picture vision, right? It's not the short-term protective, reflexive fear of wanting to stay safe or stay in control. Those are usually the things that keep us stuck and repeating scenarios that we perceive to be chaotic, not that which helps us truly grow and move away from the pattern that we find ourselves stuck in. So when we look at how these human emotions actually play a role in trying to kind of poke or disrupt our faith, it's important that we start to think about how we are defining a crisis of faith. Because I see all the time, especially in the Christian community, we will just kind of do the beg praying like, please God, please God, restore my faith, restore my faith, my faith is wavering. And what I want to present to you conceptually today is, is your faith truly wavering? right? Is it your faith that's having the issue? Is your faith the foundation that is shaking? Or have you not properly processed and rewired your human emotional baggage that is now poking and agitating a faith that is actually very secure? Because a crisis of faith is faith that has not actually been built on a proper foundation, right? So you don't have the ability to choose the fork to the right, because you haven't properly built that faith? Or are you personally dealing with a human brain pattern based in fear and control that is poking and agitating faith that you have actively built in a secure fashion? Because the approach to these two is very different. So I want to help you understand what it feels like and what's happening internally when you're perceiving a wavering in faith versus what wavering faith is in reality. So when we are presented with anything in our daily human lives that doesn't look like it's going the way we want it to go, doesn't look like the way we were shown intuitively it was going to go, or doesn't look the way we prayed for, meditated on, wrote in our affirmation book, you name it, it's very common for fear, doubt, and anxiety to immediately rise up in us, and we feel that foundation of our faith shaking. And many of us that have done that work to build that proper spiritual foundation where we, it's not just because someone told me so or because I was raised that way. When you've actually done the work to understand why you believe, it can feel incredibly frustrating and disheartening to feel your spiritual foundation shake when presented with a bump in the road, right? And it can be really easy then for you to activate into guilt, shame, or embarrassment. Oh, well, maybe I'm not who I say I am. Maybe I haven't done the work that I think I've done. Maybe I'm not the the spiritual student that I thought I've been all these years, right? It's easy to start to question ourselves because when presented with that evidence, 
we are thinking, why would I crumble so quickly? How could I believe something so strongly? Then the second anything presents itself that doesn't look exactly the way I was thinking, I just immediately want to slam on the brakes. And the simplest way to look at this is that it's not actually a wavering of faith for many of you that have anchored in faith in reality and actually done the work. It's not about your faith at all. It's about the emotional pattern that is trying to poke or agitate and or distract you away from choosing that fork to the right, the spiritual fork. So this is the reality of what's happening when your faith is wavering. And if you're listening to the audio version, make sure you get over to YouTube and you look at the actual visual version because there is pretty awesome set of PDF lecture slides that have diagrams. So those of us that are on live are rocking out with these diagrams. If you're on the audio version, I love that you're listening to it on audio, but head over to YouTube and take a watch and you can download the lecture slides there. So this is what's happening for real inside the brain when the faith is wavering. It's not what we looked at on the other side, which is the perception, which is like, oh, I should feel guilty and shameful. Like I'm not, I'm a fraud. I'm not who I say I am. I haven't really done all this work. The reality is that your repetitive childhood experiences are actively engaged the second any sort of uncertainty presents itself. The second your brain perceives that it is at risk in some way, shape or form, of things not going the way that you wanted them to go or to go as planned, your ACB pathway kicks in. So if you've already been a student of mind and break method, you know what an ACB pathway is. For those of you that don't, I give you like a kind of quick little snippet here on the lecture slide. The A stands for assumption, the C stands for conclusion, the B stands for behavior. The ACB pathway gets fired in the brain as soon as you are triggered. And this can be triggered by something subconscious and typically is. This is why consciously you're like, I believe for it, I believe for it, it's gonna happen. And then subconsciously your body is already starting to panic, your heart rate's raising, and your body language has veered to that sharp left human fear direction while you're trying to hold so steady in your God mind with your head consciously. As soon as that pattern is activated, your brain is formulating all kinds of wild and crazy assumptions that are often very logical. And once that assumption is present in your mind, your brain is then faced with creating a conclusion to actually move forward with, right? So it's like a domino effect. As soon as the assumption exists in the brain, we then turn the assumption into a conclusion and the conclusion is going to dictate our behavior or the decision or action that we take from this conclusion. So if you look at this diagram here, we've got, and I'll describe it for the audio listeners, We've got a large gray circle that includes all possible behavioral choices. And then we've got a small taupe circle that includes the behavioral choices that match your conclusion. So I give you a very tangible example here. So the example that we're going to look at to understand ACB pathway first is, let's say that I've just had a really bad day at school. Let's say I'm a high school student, right? Every single thing went wrong. My best friend, you know, decided to have a crush on my new boyfriend and I got a bad grade and my whole social circle is blowing up. And I get home from school and all I want to do is get some comfort from my mom. When I get home, I smell alcohol 
And I know in this hypothetical situation that my mom is an alcoholic. So if I get home and I'm hurting and I really just want to talk to somebody, just want somebody to comfort me, but I smell alcohol, my assumption at that point is going to be, I can't trust this person with this information right now because they've been drinking, right? So the assumption here is going to be that people are untrustworthy and can snap at any moment, especially if said person's been drinking. So in this moment, the second I smell the alcohol, my brain then assumes, nope, can't share it today. So the conclusion is going to be, it's better not to bring this conversation topic up right now. So I'm now going to run into my bedroom and hide and try to deal with it on my own until I perceive that there is a better time to talk to mom. So when we look at the broader set of information, obviously, Inside of all possible behavioral choices, there exists a possibility of, I should start this conversation while it's important, while I'm in need. But once my assumption is already fired that this person is unsafe in the state that they're in, my brain is going to hide that behavioral choice from me. I won't even know that it's an option because my brain is reflexively telling me what to do and when based on a pattern. So if we take that same sort of reflexive pattern and we look at, let's say that you've been praying and meditating on something and you feel so certain that it is going to happen in exactly this way over the next week. And the closer you get to Sunday, things are starting to look a little bit, a little bit bad, a little bit stormy, a little bit chaotic, not exactly like what you were hoping for. It's very easy for our human brain to jump in with an assumption and say, you know, this is never going to actually work out for you. You're better off just doing X, Y, Z now, right? Pull the plug. Do you really want to wait it out all week and be heartbroken to find out that this was all just a fairy tale? That's often what it feels like when you're trying to walk in faith. That part of your human mind that's like, don't walk this out. You could walk to the end and then be completely embarrassed, or you could walk this out to the end and everything goes wrong. And then, you know, then are you going to believe in anything at all? Isn't that going to really shake your faith? Better to walk away now. But what's really happening here, it's not about your faith. This is all about your ACB pathway. And until you address why this ACB pathway is here, what the ACB pathway is and how to rewire it, you're going to consistently be confronted with this sort of disruption when you're trying to walk in your anchored faith and you're being tested. Because I think we all know from a very spiritual perspective, God tests you. You get tested and your faith will be tested. So every single time you're tested, do you want to default to your human mind and let your ACB pathway take over? Or do you want to be able to have the skills and tools to tell your ACB pathway where to stick it so that you can continue to walk in faith? Because that's what we know how to do in brain method. So keep in mind that often what you're perceiving as a crisis or wavering of faith is really in reality, just an emotional response pattern that is originating from the brain. And it's interacting with your somatic and soul level. So your somatic level, as I mentioned, is like going to be your physical body, your muscles, your nerves, et cetera, fascia. And then the soul level, and we've got a diagram of this coming up shortly, is going to be one layer more superficial and also more clearly intangible. So all that's happening here in reality, if you have done that work 
to anchor in a secure faith, that doesn't mean that you're not going to be bumping into these wobbles unless you've actually done the human emotional work too. The human emotional work when completed and completed correctly completely frees you to walk 100% by faith to be able to be led, to be fine with being blind and only being led by spirit without being able to rewire those human components. It's going to be brought with a lot of tension and friction. That's why we do what we do in Brave Method. It helps people get returned and restored to what I believe the way God intended them originally so that they can really lean heavy into that communication and that ability. And for those of you that have already done the 16-week course with me in break, I'm going to show you a whole new side of Eli that might blow your mind. So before we jump into that, I want to help you get a solid visual of how to differentiate the levels of somatic soul and spirit. Because for us to understand what's happening to us, it is critical that we know when and where we are. Just like if you were tra if you were in a car and you got lost, in order to get found, you have to figure out where you are, right? It's impossible to navigate your way to something if you don't know where you're trying to navigate from. And often when we find ourselves in these situations, because of that chaos or friction or juxtaposition, if we don't know what to do when faced with these tests and these wobbles, we often start to very tangibly panic and we're not able to figure out where we are in the timeline and what we're currently experiencing, right? Everything just feels chaotic and jumbled and commingled. And all of those things are really unproductive to moving ourselves out and through. We have to know where we are. So for us to know where we are, we have to understand these different levels in which we can have both emotional experience and intuitive experience because both emotional and intuitive experience and information can be shared and communicated between all three of these levels. And we have to know where we are in these levels with this information to know whether we can trust it or not. So when we look at the somatic level, this is what we're going to be considering the physical or the gross body. For those of you that have done any sort of yoga training with me, there are certainly some visual crossovers that you can think of here, specifically regarding the koshas, if you have any sort of background in that. So this would be like the Anamaya kosha, the physical gross body. So this is the only aspect of ourselves that is completely and tangibly impacted by emotional and physical trauma. So this is the level that's actually going to hold and store trauma. It's going to interact with the endocrine system, which we know is responsible for controlling hormonal secretions and thus very much responsible for our emotional life. So think about, I'm going to show you two different visual examples of how to look at this. It really just depends on how you visualize. Trust me when I say you're going to look at one and be like, oh, that makes sense, but the other one won't make sense. I know which one makes sense to me, but I'm going to teach both to you so that you're like, oh, that's, that's the one for me. 
because they're really saying the same exact thing, but the positioning is slightly different. So think of the somatic level as our physical flesh, our fascia, our nerves, our endocrine system. And this is what is very patterned with all of our repetitive emotional and physical traumas. And it's, it is what is connected to our emotional experience via chemicals. Then we go out one level from there to the soul level. And this would be correlated to the energetic or the subtle body. Again, if you have a background in any sort of yogic training or energy work, I also went to school for acupuncture. So this would also be kind of correlated more to the TCM meridians. This would be the soul level. This is going to be directly linked with and communicating to the somatic level. So the somatic and the soul are besties. And this is a very important concept to walk away with. Unlike the spirit level, the somatic and the soul level are constantly and dynamically sharing information between each other. And what's really unfortunate here is that on the soul level, our somatic traumas and their imprints are going to create essentially holes or vortexes in the soul level of the body. <coughs> Excuse me. Ooh. So these energetic holes or vortexes are actually going to serve as feeding pools for negative entities and energies. And if you're looking at it in terms of biblical, not to throw this out there, because this word typically is like, oh my God, I can't believe she's talking about this. But if we're looking at this in terms of biblical terms, this is also where entity attachments and demonic attachments can happen. Sorry, not sorry. So when we're looking at the soul level, and I'm going to be doing a whole other podcast on this next time where we're digging into soul level consciousness and the dangers of medicine ceremonies which going into on the next episode. I know that one's going to ruffle plenty of feathers. This soul level is something that is absolutely deeply involved in this process that we're talking about between choosing human emotional mind versus God mind. And the reason is that so many people have been tricked into believing that the soul level is the spirit level. It's not. The soul level is very, very different than the spirit level. And the soul level is infused with all of your human unprocessed traumas. And if you have not yet processed and rewired your human traumas, the soul level can become your worst enemy. And yet so many people are tricked into focusing all of their energy and effort into all this soul level exploration. It is a dangerous place to play around without having done your human emotional work first. Very, very dangerous. So when we're looking at the distinction between the soul and the spirit level, the spirit level would be that aspect of you, which is seated in a divine place or in biblical terms, a heavenly place. So it is not existing necessarily within you. It is existing in a, a higher dimension of you. So this is something that's directly linked with the higher realms or, again, in biblical terms, heavenly places. This thinks and reacts with the mind of God rather than the human mind. The perspective and experience from this level is often in direct opposition to the cues given by somatic and soul levels. And that is really important here. 
So those of you that have taken break, I'm sure your wheels are already turning. You're like, okay, I think I know where this is going with Eli. So many of you often get so trapped in the somatic and soul level experiences that you don't ever actually fully embrace or embody that spirit level of yourself. It takes a lot of work. Uh, It often takes a very good teacher. And it certainly takes a high level of intent on processing your human emotional baggage. And unfortunately, so many people go trying to escape to the soul and spirit levels because they don't want to deal with the human. They don't want to work through process and remove or pull out those human experiences because they feel too painful. Well, I'm here to tell you that that experience of rewiring is truly what allows you to access these other two levels, not only safely, but expansively. In break, I work with so many healers, psychics, pastors, teachers, therapists, you name it. And it's so common that when these people show up, they acknowledge, I really should have done this years ago, but I was afraid that doing this would somehow make me feel like a fraud in the work that I do or make me question my own gifts or abilities. What's really important to note here, if you find yourself in one of these like healing, leading, teaching modalities, you can't run from this. I certainly couldn't. If I look back to my teaching seven years ago, 10 years ago, I, I see it. I see the parts of myself where I'm like, oh, you were sneaky. You were not healed yet. Oh, there, there you are. You popped up again. We have to be highly focused on healing those aspects of ourselves, especially at that somatic and soul level, so that we're able to fully rise into our true healing, teaching, leading position and do that with sovereignty, with clarity, and without carrying forward all of our own negative baggage and potentially infusing that onto the people that we're working with. So I'm here to tell you, if you know that there are parts of yourself that are not all the way healed and or rewired and you're constantly feeling these wobbles, it's time to go prioritize that work. It doesn't make you a fraud. It doesn't make you a phony. All it will do is take your teaching, leading, healing, speaking to a level you never conceived of before. That I I actually can promise you. Even people that come to me in break method and have no desire to explore spiritual gifts or don't even care, at the end, when they've gone through the whole rewiring process and they're like, oh my God, my life is amazing, this is crazy, all of a sudden, their spiritual gifts unlock. Because guess what? It's safe now. Your spiritual gifts can unlock without actually putting you at risk. If you haven't done this work in the right order, your spiritual gifts can get used as tools of the enemy, period, full stop. I'm going to say that one one more time. 
if you don't prioritize this work, what you perceive to be your spiritual gifts will be used as a tool of the enemy. So don't play around. So as I mentioned, I'm going to give you one more visual. If you look at the distinct visual from the slide before, right, we've got the spirit level as being the outermost or the furthest away level, that which is connected to that heavenly place. But some people need to visualize that spirit level as being housed, let's say, in the pineal gland. So instead of it being outside of yourself, think about it being the smallest core of yourself that is infused with the mind of God. So that is the only difference here. Somatic and soul stay the same, but for some people, visualizing that spirit level being a tiny grain in your third eye versus being that outermost third level helps them wrap their brain around the concept. So as we continue to dig on to this, because my next few podcasts, as I've mentioned, were delivered to me uh, through Holy Spirit to show me exactly what I had to teach in what order. So we are on that next episode going to be expanding on the concept that I just taught about those levels of somatic soul and spirit and why it's so dangerous that so many healing modalities have purely focused on the soul level and in fact tricked people into believing that playing around in that soul level realm is in fact God. That's a whole other can of worms that we're going to, we're going to wait for until the next episode. Okay. So now that we have this new way of thinking, I have a few different verses that I want to go through and actually dissect using this lens. So the first one is Hebrews 11, one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what we're talking about here is faith is a hope and assurance, meaning I know it's going to happen without the physical world actually looking anything like that, which we are hoping or assured will happen. So this perfectly describes this battle between human mind fear that's looking out and being like, I don't know, this storm is really bad. And our faith is like, yep, but I am not only hoping for it, but I am assured that we're going to get to the other side. So you see this sort of juxtaposition pop up all throughout the Bible. And what what we now know is that it is our human fear patterns that are trying to block us from resting solely in faith because what we're looking at doesn't look visually the way we are seeing it from our spirit. And I want you to understand that they might often and do look different. Things look different from the spirit, from your God mind, than they do from the human mind. Now let's take a look at Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. What do we think your own understanding is here? I don't know, your childhood emotional patterns and your ACB pathway, because one million percent, that is what's being described here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, right? Be willing to walk in blind faith and lean not on your own understanding because your personal understanding is going to make you choose the fear pathway every time. Jeremiah 17, seven through eight, but blessed is the one who trusts the Lord, whose confidence is in him. 
They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So despite what the physical circumstances look like, like heat or drought, it's able to rest confidently in faith because it's not looking at just what is being presented physically. It's not leaning on its own understanding. It is hoping and assured that something will happen even if the physical space doesn't match that in this moment because they are teaching you to use a skill that I will break down for you piecemeal today and give you some really practical ways to stop this nonsense right away. This next one, Luke 12, 34, is a little bit different, and I want to explain to you why I have it in here. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This has everything to do with prioritization. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever I am putting my stock and priority in, there will be my heart. So if I am putting my effort over the next, let's say, two weeks into embodying all the practical tools I'm about to teach you to make sure that you can lean into faith and not constantly be distracted by your fear patterning, you are actively investing your treasure in the walk of faith. And therefore, your heart will be in that space also. But if you are not prioritizing any of this work, you can pretty much expect that your treasure will be in the human earthly realm. And no matter what, anytime you're tested, you're probably going to crumble. So perhaps we want to reinvest where we're putting our treasure, yeah? This last one, Peter 5, 7 through 8, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Being alert and of sober mind is referring to having done the emotional work to not be duped by your own understanding, right? You see how all of these actually weave together. You need to be prioritizing actually rewiring these human patterns so that you are able to move into spirit and think like God rather than think like a human. And to do that, you have to be alert and of sober mind so you can tell when your brain is trying to trick you into turning left, when you're really wanting to turn right. Because the second you get tricked into turning left, there is a devil prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour you in the soul realm, I might add. So this one I want to dig into with a very specific step-by-step -step example. So those ones, I think you can see how they all build in together and all function together. This one, we're going to actually use a hypothetical example of a person. So this is Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. For those of you that are like affirmation, manifestation people, here we go, right? So I think it's pretty funny how many people essentially neglect to realize that 
a lot of these new agey concepts that they're paying, you know, coaches like $10,000 for on Facebook or Instagram are actually biblically based. And perhaps you would be well suited to actually move through, I know it can be hard, some of your triggering or preconceived notions and actually dive into the word and extract the mysteries for yourself rather than paying a coach $10,000 to blah, blah to you about the powers of affirmations and manifestation when really what they're actually, even if they don't realize it, they're talking about biblical concepts. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Hmm. That sounds a lot like words of affirmation and manifestation. So in this example, let's think of it like person A, person called them person A, has a very strong faith and they pray and they put their belief into an outcome, right? In their head, like this has already happened. I am walking and living my life as if this outcome has already come to pass and I know it is so. Then person A begins to walk blindly in faith, right? Because they know it is so. But suddenly things begin to look uncertain and physically the space around her or him is not matching what they were thinking was going to happen. What then happens is that person A subconsciously has their ACB pathway activated and their mind starts to race with thoughts of what if, projective worst, projected worst outcomes and doubt And their behavior is now going to change as a result of their ACB pathway, whether they like it or not. So at step number four, this is where we actually have an opportunity to realign or anchor in faith rather than go into a full-blown crisis of faith. And I'm going to be giving you step-by-step tools to realign or anchor back into your faith instead of let that crumble and become you questioning yourself and going into spiritual guilt or shame. So from this point, person A has to use Eli, which I'm going to teach in a moment, to reorient themselves with the spirit of truth. And yes, truth is an actual spirit. So with the spirit of truth, this immediately alters their ACB pathway, which is barreling currently toward a set of behavior that completely opposes everything their spirit is asking them to do and believe and even perceiving. So now person A has created a pause by using these Eli questions to reorient themselves. They've created a pause to allow the spirit of truth to shift into engaging or responding from faith. Person A now stays on course with their mission and their spiritual walk instead of derailing their process with carnal, meaning physical body, emotional spirals. So hopefully that timeline resonates with you and you can think of yourself in a situation where you're like, yep, I went from one to two to three. I kind of face planted when I got to four and it didn't quite turn out like five, six, seven, right? We're trying to build the skill set of going from five to six to seven, because most of you will crumble at four and choose to think with your human mind. And that's precisely what we're here trying not to do. So Eli is something that we teach in break method. And Eli stands for, the E is for emotion, the L is for logic, and the I is for intuition. So when we refer to Eli in break method, we're talking about rewiring emotional response, which is that reflexive, protective response. It's not, it's not what you think it is. 
Uh, in fact, instinct, for example, comes from this side of emotional response. It comes from your gut, right? Not the heart, not your spirit. It comes from the very human, traumatized, reflexive, protective, instinctive response, which is that E on the left-hand side. So emotional response, right? Because we like to think of emotions in a, a way that they actually are chemically not. Emotions are just experiences that we have based on a specific grouping of chemical messengers. Like it's really that simple. Yes, there is a broad spectrum of human emotion, but the emotions that we're talking about tied to instinct, protection, safety, etc., it's relatively small. It's essentially fear, anxiety, doubt, jealousy, anger, frustration, resentment, etc. That wheelhouse. So in brake method, we use this tool obviously slightly differently, but from what I've been explaining to you, I want to present that really what we're doing when we actually disrupt the body's instinctive emotional response and we're trying to get ourselves to the other side. So if you guys are watching in break, we use logic, which has its own definition in our work other than what you're thinking of in terms of like logic games. We like to think of it more as like universal truth. Here, I'm going to be aligning it with the spirit of truth. So we use logic-based questions to actually stop the flow of neurotransmitter and chemicals associated with the emotion so that we create that pause to be able to respond from a more intuitive, long-term thinking place. So if we're looking at this from a spiritual functionality, when we allow ourselves to just reflexively respond emotionally, we're reacting from soul and somatic level traumas. And this is when we're thinking and responding like a human, right? This is our carnal mind. But when we learn how to properly Eli and break method, we are using the spirit of truth as a pattern interrupt. And we're understanding the traps of soul level trauma and how to outwit them so that we can keep you shifting into your God mind. So in this instance, intuition is responding from the spirit level, thinking and responding with the mind of God instead of the short-term fear-based, control-based mind of a human. From a very spiritual and biblical perspective, if God made himself in your image and he infused his spirit into you, you are intended to be able to have the functionality to think with the mind of God. But you're not going to be able to do that if you keep allowing your carnal mind to drive your life on autopilot into a chaotic loop in which you're never able to fully navigate out of it. So I'm going to give you five steps to walk in faith without disruption. And like I said, you're going to want to print this out. You're going to want to print this out. And I'm going to give you a set of 10 Eli questions to actually try not to face plant at step four from the person A example. So step one is get clear on your somatic and soul level emotional patterns and how they trigger you into irrational fear, projection, assumption. And I'll give you a big hint. If you don't know how to do this, go to breakmethod.com. That is actually what we do, and we do it very well. Number two, dedicate consistent time to spend in meditation or prayer without distraction. 
focus these sessions on connecting with the aspect of yourself that transcends your human experience, right? Not the cardinal mind, like, oh, I wish this was different. I wish this was different. Like, God help me with this and this and this, right? Try to let this be something that transcends just praying on or meditating on your human experience. It is in this place that clear messages come through that allow you to stand in your face, even when the evidence in the physical world seems completely contradictory. Number three, when you inevitably find yourself tested, because we do know that we'll be tested, be prepared to use Eli questions to allow your faith to step back behind the wheel. And I do provide you with some starter Eli questions on the next page. Remember that walking in faith requires being led. This is such a key piece for many of you that are frankly, hell-bent on maintaining your human control in your spiritual walk, it's never going to work. It is basically like a dog wanting to carry its own leash and being like, look, um, you know, we're going on a walk. Like, no, the dog is walking itself with the leash in its mouth. So being led by Holy Spirit infers that you are not in control, right? You, If you are being led, then you are not holding the lead. That's how that works. So what often happens here is that if your ACB pathway is constantly getting activated, your brain is going to fight for control and trying to have your way with or manipulate outcomes that doesn't allow you to be led by Holy Spirit. It's not possible. It is you being a dog holding your own leash. So if you are wanting to fully walk in faith, you've got to let that leash go. And if you have worked with me in break method, this is very much like what I present on controlled surrender. You have to be willing to be led if you really want the Holy Spirit to take you to where you're meant to be. Trust me, I've done it. There are times that I want to be like, are we really going here, God? Like, I don't want to go here. People are going to hate me. (laughs) They're going to try to cancel me. God, do I really have to give this lecture right now? Yes. When you're being led, That means that you have to be, to a degree, obedient to what you're being shown, even if that means that you don't necessarily like where you're being led in the moment, right? Holy Spirit is leading you to something on the other end of the tunnel, and that doesn't mean that being in the tunnel is necessarily going to be all that enjoyable. I've had moments of being in the darkness in the tunnel being like, okay, anytime now, God, anytime now, God, you do realize I'm claustrophobic, right? But I always come out on the other side and there's always a plan and I always see it from the other side because I allow myself to completely relinquish and be led. And I'll tell you right now, the moments that I have slammed on the brakes and let my human try to lead, I face plan every time, every time. And then number five, all things work together for good, even when they look bad. Remind yourself of all the times moving away from the human mind of control created the space for beautiful things to unfold. These moments can fuel your transition from the carnal mind to the God mind. And for those of you that are all obsessed with manifest, this is Romans 828, flight 828, which I'm pretty sure got canceled, by the way, off of major network television because it got too biblical. Uh, But luckily for all of us that were watching the show there, doing a fourth season. My kids are very excited about this. So Romans 8 to 8, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. So even bad things are still actually 
functioning together in a way that you just don't understand right now. And if you let your human mind just look at what they physically look like in this moment and slam on the brakes and panic because you haven't done your emotional work yet, you're going to block all the blessings that God probably has for you. Not probably. He's got them for you. But if you keep slamming on the brakes every time this doesn't look exactly the way I thought it was going to, you will block yourself. You will block your progress. And I've said it maybe a million times before in all of my teaching, I'm here to change the world. And to change the world, I have to do my part to wake each of you up into your remembrance and get you back on mission. And this is now where I'm being led to get you back on mission. So who's coming with me? Let's go to your Eli question so that I can send you on your way because we've been going for a while. So these are your quick glance Eli questions to get you back into faith. Question number one, remember, if you go back to a few slides ago where we went through the scenario of person A in their strong faith about to crumble, you would apply these at that position number four. This is where you have to realign instead of crumble in your crisis of faith. Number one, am I assuming the worst will happen when in reality I've not allowed this to play out or unfold? Because your ACB pathway is going to kick in when things just start to go south, right? So it's just like a slight wobble and your brain wants to be like, whoa, we're not going to trust this anymore. So at that very first sight of a wobble, we've not allowed this to play out. We don't know how it's going to end. So assuming that we do know how it's going to end and letting our behavior be influenced by that assumption is certainly going to block everything that God's trying to give us in our lives. So the whole point of Eli questions is to ask something that really rationally, even when we're activated and we're all freaking out, we can still answer these questions honestly, where it's like, oh God, well, yeah, you're right. That is true. I am assuming, and this hasn't played out yet. There's no other way to answer that because if you just felt a wobble and you're wanting to panic and slam on the brakes, it is a, there's only one truthful answer, which is you're right. You did just call me out on that. I have not left this played out at all. And I do suggest doing these in order. There is a specific order built here and without taking break method, it won't really make sense to you, but just trust the order of these questions. Number two Am I projecting catastrophic what-if scenarios to work myself up before I've even taken a meaningful action? So many of you are not even committing to taking that meaningful action that you are being led to take because you're operating in fear. You're so worried that it's not going to play out the way you've seen in your mind or the way God's shown you it's going to play out that you can't even commit to taking that first step. So call yourself on that and say, you're right. You called me out on that too. I haven't actually taken a meaningful action because I'm so stuck in my head with what if scenarios that I'm not even moving forward. Number three, am I assuming that someone will let me down or not follow through based on patterns from my past? Because that's certainly going to be the case with a lot of you as it relates to having to trust and work with other people to a certain end that you've been shown. And in tandem with that question, is allowing this thought process in my mind, altering my body language and triggering this person to do the very thing I don't want them to do. This is the concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I'm worried that you're going to leave me, let me down or not follow through, my body language is probably going to stress you out to such a degree that that person's not going to be like, oh, I don't know what to do with this person. I don't, I don't, can I trust them? I don't know. And 
you will actually create the very scenario that does push that person away. So quite literally, you have to check yourself before you wreck yourself here. Are you letting these assumptions alter your body language? Because if you can get yourself there and be like, whoop, nope, I got to get out of this because I need to get my body language right because I'm not trying to allow this situation to come down the pipeline. Number four, do I tend to desire to control or micromanage outcomes because I have trust issues? For those of you that control and micromanage, you should be able to answer this one with like a, yep, got me there, got me there, busy. Am I letting my trust issues interfere with my faith, right? That's like playing God. If you don't want to play God and you don't think that's a fair thing to do, you'll be able to call yourself on your own crap here. Number five, am I clear on what my spirit is leading me toward? Notice that that has to be in the fifth position. If we started off with that one, we wouldn't have properly diffused our emotional response yet. By question five, we're getting to a place where it's like, okay, I see what's happening here. I'm trying to create all these scenarios that are not actually even happening. I've not even taken a meaningful step yet. I need to take some personal responsibility and start moving forward and like, you know, stop slamming on the brakes, stop blaming other people and keep walking, right? Now you're ready to ask yourself on the question number five, am I clear on what my spirit is leading me toward? Because if you haven't done one of the steps that I encourage you to do earlier, which is to really gain clarity through consistency in your prayer meditation world, you might not be really clear on what your spirit is leading you toward. Am I panicking because the physical environment doesn't seem to match the vision that I'm holding in faith for? Remember, what we're seeing with our human eyes, it's not going to look the same as when we're looking from spirit perspective. Have I been in situations where things looked one way when they all came together beautifully at the last moment, right? Now we're trying to build up or infuse some hope. Like, yeah, you're right. I can take responsibility. I'm panicking. I don't really need to panic. I need to actually move forward. Yes, I have cultivated a clear vision of what spirit is asking me to do. And you're right. Things have all come together at the last minute beautifully and actually worked out. Right now we're kind of bolstering the hope. Have I followed the instructions of spirit and taking meaningful action towards that end, right? We're reminding ourselves again, like, what was that? Okay, boom, I want to take a meaningful action right now. Number nine, is the fear or assumption arising now in opposition to what I'm holding faith for, right? Because in case that tries to creep back in, we're like, nope, you're in opposition to this. This is, you're not allowed. I delete you. You're going away. And number nine, is my mind jumping into its ACB pathway to protect me from getting hurt or let down, right? Because the ACB pathway is always trying to come in with a shiny superhero cape being like, don't worry, we're going to save you so you don't get your heart broken. We're not going to let you get let down. But again, you're interfering with being led by spirit in doing so, right? You don't need to protect yourself here in this situation, right? Because we're talking about scenarios in which we're trying to walk in faith and things aren't looking exactly the way we think they should. And we're trying to keep motivating toward the end. We're not using this in a scenario like you are being physically assaulted by somebody very real and tangibly, right? This is a very distinctly different scenario. And number 10, what is the most simple step I can take in this moment to respond from faith? even if the situation doesn't look or feel in a way that makes me feel comfortable. Trying to isolate that simple step to have forward momentum and to choose that right fork toward your spirit is going to change absolutely everything.
So I appreciate all of you for spending this hour and 15 with me. I hope this content spoke to you. I hope that it was practical enough in nature for each of you to take with you, no matter what your belief system is and start to apply it right away. And if you want to, or you feel called to sign up for the wild at heart women's Bible study, you can do so on mymodernfit.com. If you just go to my podcast episode, the scariest episode ever, the sign up link is on there. We're starting next week. Obviously it's free. I also really want to ask each of you to head over to the YouTube channel. We just started to put all of my lecture videos and we're moving so much more content over to YouTube because I want to be sharing everything for free. So if you could go over to YouTube and hit the like buttons, the thumbs up buttons and subscribe, um, if you can, that really helps us be able to get the word out more. Please feel free to share all this episode content. This episode is coming out on Thursday and I'm so excited about where Holy Spirit is leading me with this content it's the most comfortable I've ever felt teaching. And I love having everyone on these sessions. It really makes me so happy. Um, Jennifer says, will you share slides via email or on replay? Yes. Amanda says, I'm seriously so stoked that you're doing this. Thank you. So all the slides for this are going to be when we post the episode tomorrow. So the episode will post tomorrow. The slides will be on a Dropbox downloadable link on YouTube. They'll also be on a Dropbox downloadable link on uh, mymoderngood.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today, and I will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Thanks for checking out this week's episode of The Modern Good. To find out more about Break Method, head to breakmethod.com, and to check out my workshops and public speaking schedule, busygold.com. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.